is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The president puts more, more punishing, severe limits, sanctions on the Russians. Third time he's done it now. Wow, he must be selling out to the Russians and Putin is furious. More punishing tariffs on the Chinese. The Chinese are very, very worried about the inflow of oil now coming into their country. Oh, he must be a sellout, our president. More on that later. You know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to think of ways to deal with the this problem of a rogue prosecutor that's confronting the president. We've talked about this at length, so I'm not going to go over territory we've already covered. The constitutional arguments, which I think are strong. But I was thinking, just before the show, actually, of something else. Let's say Mueller subpoenas the president in one form or another. Now, in addition to the constitutional issues, as the president's lawyers go into federal court. They should also make the case against the special counsel. I don't just mean his unconstitutional appointment. We've talked about that. But they should make the case against the special counsel in terms of the nature of this investigation and tear it wide open if possible. Comey, McCabe, the dossier, the FISA court. Put Mueller on defense. The president's going to have a lot of leeway to make his arguments in federal court. I'm not sure how much leeway a federal court will provide him. But he should be able to make the case that not only is subpoenaing a president under these constitutional circumstances unacceptable, but subpoenaing a president under these circumstances, period, is unacceptable. Lay out the case in open court for the judge and for the American people. Now that's something I think an average citizen couldn't do, but we're not talking about an average citizen. We're talking about a citizen who happens to be president of the United States and has as part of his responsibility to defend the office of the presidency, to defend the Constitution, to try and make sure nothing like this ever happens again, and to explain why. Why, how a political effort can turn into a criminal effort against a president of the United States. So that's my thinking. I would push the envelope's edge as much as I could in that regard. I wanted to bring in something I thought was quite interesting as I do my research for the program each and every day. 
You know, there was a foreign country that interfered with one of our elections early on in 1796. You want to hear about it? In 1796, from our friends at History, while George Washington had enjoyed virtually unanimous support in the first two U.S. presidential elections, things looked a lot differently by 1796. Two competing parties, the Federalists and the Republicans, had emerged and politics had gotten nasty. While Washington probably could have won a third term if he had chosen to run, he, he wasn't the universally beloved figure he once was. After the progress of the French Revolution led to war between Great Britain and France in 1793, Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson was among those who thought the United States should support France, its champion during the Revolutionary War. The, uh, the Americans would not have won the Revolutionary War at the end, but for the assistance of the French. Instead, Washington sided with his pro-British Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, and others who argued that the United States should remain neutral in the conflict. Then he sent the pro-British Chief Justice John Jay to negotiate a treaty with Great Britain in an attempt to preserve good relations between the two countries. The Jay Treaty. John Jay was one of the authors of what we call the Federalist Papers. Not as many as most. The Jay Treaty, ratified in 1795, enraged the French government. They saw it as a clear violation of the 1778 alliance between France and the United States. Convinced that the tide of American public opinion was in its favor, France decided to take action in order to bring about a change in presidential administration, specifically to replace the pro-British Federalist Washington with the pro-French Republican Jefferson. Pierre-Auguste Adet, the French minister, ambassador that is, since 1795 and other French officials began openly supporting the Republicans and attacking the Federalists whenever possible. In September 1796, Washington announced he would not seek a third term as president. Now in response to the French government only stepped up these efforts, that is, the response. In late October November, Adet sent a series of carefully timed diplomatic notes to Timothy Pickering, Washington's Secretary of State. At the same time, he released the notes for publication in the Aurora, the Philadelphia newspaper. And these missives, you might consider that like social media, he was trolling. In these missives, Adet pleaded with the American people to reject the Jay Treaty and renew the alliance with France. He then announced that France was suspending relations with the United States and implied that only Jefferson's election as president might prevent war between the two countries. Adet's belief that such interference would help France didn't come out of nowhere. Jefferson himself had assured the minister a year earlier that France did indeed have friends in America. Wow, I think Jefferson could have been indicted by Mueller. As the U.S. minister in Paris in 1796, James Monroe had also hinted to French officials that relations between the two countries would improve if Republicans were to win the presidential election. 
In the end, there's little evidence that debt's interference helped Jefferson, apart from a few votes from Pennsylvania Quakers, motivated by threats of war with France. In fact, the minister's actions mostly hurt the Republicans, making them seem like pawns of a foreign government. James Madison wrote to Jefferson in December 1796, just before electors cast their ballots, that a debt scheme was working all the evil with which it is pregnant and threatened to create a perpetual alienation of France and the United States. In early February 1797, the election results came in. Federalist John Adams, preferred by the British, won the presidency by a narrow margin. And Jefferson, preferred by the French, became vice president in a bitterly divided administration. Now, there wasn't any special counsel, no special prosecutor, nothing. Nothing. Was Jefferson a sellout? Was Adams a sellout? I don't know. What do you think? Pretty amazing, huh? Lots more when we return. I'll be right back. Mark in. There's also this. A little bit of history. This is modern history. This happened literally a few years ago. During the Obama administration. Washington Times. Although there are multiple, multiple news sources. The State Department paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxpayers' grants to an Israeli group that used the money to build a campaign to oust Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu In last year's Israeli parliamentary elections, a congressional investigation concluded some $350,000 was sent to one voice, ostensibly to support the group's efforts to back Israeli-Palestinian peace settlement negotiations. But one voice used the money to build a voter database, train activists, and hire a political consulting firm with ties to President Obama's campaign. This is with your tax dollars all of which set the stage for an anti-Netanyahu campaign, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigation said in a bipartisan staff report. Bipartisan. In one stunning finding, the subcommittee said one voice even told the State Department's top diplomat in Jerusalem of its plans in an email. But the official, Council General Michael Ratney, claims never to have seen them. He said he regularly deleted emails with large attachments, a striking violation of open records laws for a department already reeling from former Secretary Hillary Clinton's handling of official government records. Mr. Netanyahu survived the election and the U.S. spending was not deemed illegal because the State Department never put any conditions on the money. Gee, I wonder if that was intentional. Investigators also said one voice didn't turn explicitly political until days after the grant period ended. Now that's nonsense. The State Department ignored warning signs and funded a politically active group in a politically sensitive environment with inadequate safeguards, said Senator Rob Portman, Republican of Ohio and chairman of the investigative subcommittee. It is completely unacceptable that U.S. taxpayer dollars were used to build a political campaign infrastructure that was deployed immediately after the grant ended 
against the leader of our closest ally in the Middle East. American resources should be used to help our allies in the region, not undermine them. Quote, unquote. Senator Claire McCaskill, the ranking Democrat from Missouri on the subcommittee, said the Obama administration followed the law. But she said their investigation exposed deficiencies in the State Department policies. Boy, she speaks differently now. One voice had been politically active in Israel's 2013 elections as well, which should have been a red flag to U.S. officials to put strict controls on how American money, taxpayer money was spent, the investigation said. While it wouldn't necessarily have disqualified the group, the State Department should have written a specific prohibition. Well, they didn't because they wanted to defeat Netanyahu and interfere with the election. It's a part of a pattern of bad behavior at the State Department. The Government Accountability Office reviewed more than five dozen department grants and found officials cut corners and missed red flags in 80% of them. State Department spokesman Job Kirby, I think he's a propagandist for CNN now, or one of them, said they had not had time to go through the report and he couldn't comment on it. He also didn't comment on Mr. Ratney's practice of deleting official records. The Senate investigation found that the State Department funded two sister groups, One Voice Israel and One Voice Palestine, to hire a U.S. political consulting firm, recruit volunteers, build a social media network, and run advertising. But it was also building its anti-Netanyahu political strategy at a time when the Israeli leader was quite controversial in American politics, celebrated by Republicans but feuding with the Obama White House over differences of policy. One voice told at least two State Department officials of its political plans, even as it was collecting taxpayer money. But the department took no action in response, the subcommittee concluded. Mr. Ratney, one of the two officials, said he remembered getting an email from One Voice, but didn't recall seeing the attached filing, a file detailing the group's political strategy. The State Department was unable to recover the email, but investigators got it from One Voice. Now, if the Israeli prosecutors had, or the Israeli government had a Robert Mueller, I suppose they could have indicted Obama and John Kerry and a whole load of Obama officials for interfering with their election. Would anybody have had a problem with that? And, of course, try them in absentia. Here we have the Obama administration knowingly interfering in an election in Israel and providing $350,000 of our tax dollars. Shortly thereafter, ladies and gentlemen, the Obama administration would interfere with our election through its FBI, through its CIA, through its National Director of Intelligence, unmasking, spy in the uh, Trump campaign, a phony application, For a FISA warrant that was renewed repeatedly, including with Mr. Rosenstein's signature, while covering up all of Hillary Clinton's uh, serial crimes under the Espionage Act, fixing the outcome of her investigation while trying to criminalize the candidacy, the election, and presidency 
of Donald Trump. Here we have the administration, the Obama administration caught red-handed, and I do mean red-handed, and nothing. In fact, Claire McCaskill of Missouri defends them. They didn't do anything wrong. Nothing, nothing wrong here. Nothing wrong at all. And now these same people want to take down the President of the United States, Donald Trump. History is a bitch to the left, isn't it? Excuse my French, but that's the way it is. They hate it. Unless, of course, they can spin it. No Obama official, including Obama himself, has ever been held to account for this. Never. Not Obama, not Kerry, not any State Department officials and others who were involved in this. Other than this subcommittee investigation, no criminal investigation. Seems to me there should be if you're going to use our taxpayer dollars to interfere with a campaign and a campaign outside the country. There are no lengths to which the left won't go to achieve its outcome. To achieve its outcome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I shall return. Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Diane Feinstein and her husband, Richard Bloom, have had a very, very long, decades-long relationship with the Red Chinese government. Bloom has made tens of millions of dollars from that relationship. Of course... Feinstein and Bloom contend that they never discuss any of it with each other, which you know is a bald-faced lie. And Dianne Feinstein has fought over and over again for policies that weaken America's security, economically and otherwise, in our dealings with Red China. Much as Elaine Chow's father has, her father has made a fortune off of shipping with the blessing of the red Chinese government. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell has made very few floor speeches against red China or red Chinese activities since he's been involved with the Chow family. But he too has become extremely wealthy. I hope you will watch Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday at 10 p.m. I have Eastern. I have a tremendous guest. Dr. Michael Pillsbury. You're not going to want to miss this. As a matter of fact, I spoke to him today. My crew, or yesterday, my crew was watching as he and I were talking, and their jaws hit the floor. They couldn't even believe what they were hearing. And this man has spent his entire career on the issue of China, starting the Nixon administration, through the Reagan administration, and so forth. And he is a director uh, at the uh, Hudson Institute. So I'm going to strongly encourage you. If you're going to watch any program, watch this one on Sunday. You're going to want to definitely tape it, record it, if, you, uh, if you're not going to be around, because it's very, very important what China is doing. So Diane Feinstein has a driver was also a former staffer 
for 20 years who is a spy for the government of China. The same China that her husband and the same China she fought over on the Senate floor and in committee to give them significant economic benefits uh, in terms of uh, full partnership and trade deals and so forth. And nobody is investigating her. Nobody's investigating her husband. These exposés have been written about them by not just conservative enterprises, but the L.A. Times and uh, even more radical news outlets than that. So Lindsey Graham, to his credit, he goes on Fox yesterday and he says, hey, look, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Understand what? Well, let's listen. Cut four. Go. Things that we didn't talk about. I didn't know about it until yesterday. Apparently, about five years ago, the FBI told Diane Feinstein one of her employees may be an agent uh, of the Chinese government. That was the right thing to do, and she fired them. I'm going to send a letter to uh, Director Ray next week and ask him, what is the policy? Why didn't you tell President Trump that you had concerns about Carter Page? Is there a double standard here? If this was a counterintelligence investigation, not mm-hmm. a criminal investigation, uh, the FBI should have told President Trump they had concerns about Papadopoulos and Page. Why didn't they do for Trump what they did for Feinstein? Why didn't they do for Trump what they did for Feinstein? Rather than getting a phony FISA warrant to use Page to go through the back door and surveil the Trump campaign, to have a spy in the Trump campaign, why didn't they alert the candidate about what they claim was taking place, which apparently didn't take place, of course, the way they alerted Feinstein about her driver? They didn't get a FISA warrant on the driver, and the Feinstein campaign in office, did they? They didn't put an FBI spy in Feinstein's office or in her campaign, did they? Seems to me, if you're going to, there's more of a reason to do it there, given her husband's close connections to the Chinese government and the fact that they've made millions. What exactly is Donald Trump's close connection to Putin? There isn't any. So it has to be manufactured through this dossier, you see. Lindsey Graham went on. Cut five. Go. I'm saying, what the hell's going on at the FBI? Why do, why do you tell a Democrat when they hire somebody connected to China? It could happen to anybody's office. Right. When the FBI finds out that somebody's working for us, may have connections to a foreign government, they should tell us. And Dianne Feinstein acted responsibly. Uh, when it comes to the Trump campaign, why didn't they tell him about Papadopoulos or Carter Page? And at the end of the day, what has Carter Page did wrong, has done wrong? Senator? He's still walking around a free man. Exactly. And I've been saying that from day one. From day one. So, uh, by the way, Trump, the Treasury Department sanctions on Russia in January, in March, in April, in June, in August. Does that sound like he's selling out to the Russians? The Russian economy is a mess. The ruble is a mess. The Chinese currency has dropped 28% since Trump has put the screws to their economy. The Iranian economy is tumbling. 
It's completely unraveling. Does this sound like a guy who's bought and paid for by the Russians or the Chinese or... Um, no. This is a pretty impressive record, wouldn't you say? But what of the question of Lindsey Graham? Why is it that in the case of Diane Feinstein, the FBI alerts her that her driver's a spy of 20 years, then she fires him and everything's fine? Or why is it that Barack Obama can, and his administration, interfere in the Israeli election, spend $350,000 in our money to try and defeat Benjamin Netanyahu, and nobody's investigated, let alone charged? Why is it that Hillary Clinton can commit multiple felonies, in my opinion, under the Espionage Act, and our FBI jumps through hoops, turns itself in the pretzels, in order to protect her and her staff? And why is it that our FBI and our intelligence agencies unleashed the most uh, outrageous attack on a presidential candidate and presidential election in modern American history? And yet the man under investigation is Donald Trump. These are what we call rhetorical questions. I know the answers. This is why this president needs to fight for himself to protect himself and his family, to protect the office of the presidency from this sort of thing, to protect the Constitution, and to protect all the tens of millions of people who voted for him. Because the goal here is to disenfranchise all of us and to reverse the outcome of the last election. Well, Mike, Mark, Mike Pence would be president. He wasn't running for president. He ran for vice president. The people who, who voted for Trump to be president and succeeded, they have a right to have him as their president. So that's why this is so important. All the hypocrisy, all the contradictions, they all add up. That The direction, the target is Trump. Feinstein gets a pass. Hillary gets a pass. The people who interfered in our election in the United States, for the most part, get a pass. Look at this guy, Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general. When the history books are written, and I intend to write one, he should come off as the individual in this country who tried to reverse the election. And there will be questions raised about Jeff Sessions, how he can sit there on the sideline except to praise his deputy attorney general when he knows damn well that what's going on here is utterly inappropriate. He has not recused himself from making decisions about the constitutional issues. But apparently he feels that he won't and he shouldn't. Why? To keep the heat away from himself. I'm sorry. That's the only explanation I can see. Rosenstein was a bureaucrat. You know, they say he's a Republican. Fact of the matter, folks, is this. There are U.S. attorneys and there are U.S. attorneys. There are U.S. attorneys that have common sense, and then there are U.S. attorneys who are almost machine-like, cold-blooded, have no emotions and no feelings. Their entire career is built on putting people in prison. Maybe some of them deserve it, but it's all they know. 
And so when Rosenstein says to Congress or to the American people, we will not be bullied, we will not be this, that, or that, it tells you right there, the man has no sense, no ability of circumspection, no understanding of the constitutional order, none, or he wouldn't have done this. He triggered all this because he's a gutless bureaucrat. And he picked somebody like Mueller, who he knew would be as he is. So when you go, oh, he's a Republican, there are Republicans and there are Republicans and there are U.S. attorneys and there are U.S. attorneys. And to say that he's a Republican and he was a U.S. attorney is to say nothing. We all can see what he's doing. We can all hear what he says. Lindsey Graham is exactly right. Why did Dianne Feinstein get a pass? How come she was alerted but Trump wasn't? Because they were out to get Trump. That's his point. How come Barack Obama and his Secretary of State and his administration can interfere in a foreign election with our closest ally in the Middle East, Israel, if not our closest ally, period? And the Secretary of State give $350,000 to a group that has as its purpose the defeat of Netanyahu. And nobody's investigated, let alone prosecuted. How can it be that the greatest interference with our election didn't come from the Russians as detestable as that government is, but came from our own government? And nobody questions Barack Obama but me. Nobody. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. By the way, we absolutely do need a space force. The Chinese and the Russians already have one, and they are leaping ahead of us significantly. Already have in uh, military space technology, which threatens our communications ability during war. That is, our satellites and so forth. They can hit our electrical grid. This is crucially important. You can't just hand this over to the Air Force. That's not their expertise. You need a space force. The president's exactly right in doing this, so he's being mocked for it. Mocked for it. You know, take one atom of nitrogen and bond it with one atom of oxygen, and boom, you just created nitric oxide, a miracle molecule your own body makes that fuels your cardiovascular health, keeping you vibrant. But as we all age, our bodies need help generating more natural nitric oxide. Super Beets by Human has harnessed the power of nutrient-enriched beets and created a superfood that helps your body make more nitric oxide on its own. The core philosophy of human is to develop heart-healthy products for your body. One teaspoon is all. One teaspoon of Super Beats daily supports your cardiovascular health and blood pressure levels, giving you natural energy without the need of a quick caffeine kick or sugar high. We're talking real, healthy, natural energy. Call 866-205-4907 right now, 866-205-4907, or go to superbeats.com slash Levin, that's L-E-V-I-N, and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats and free shipping with your first purchase. Feel the one plus one equals boom effect of Superbeats. Call 866-205-4907. Or go to superbeats.com slash L-E-V-I-N Levin 
right away. Okay, Jim Acosta, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert last night. Cut 10, go. That's not really relevant, uh, whether I like the president or not. I don't have to like the president of the United States. He doesn't have to like me. We all have jobs to do. Uh, and as you talk to these folks, they sort of calm down. But my sense of it, Stephen, is, is that a lot of these folks, they get their impressions of what we do by watching other conservative outlets. They look at other conservative websites. And these folks are focused on the coverage of the president's behavior more so than they are the president's behavior. And to me, you know, I think that the president's behavior is, is more newsworthy than our coverage. Uh, but a lot of these folks out there, they're getting... Well, that's interesting coming from a drama queen. Now, let's go to cut 11, too. Go ahead. We've had to be fact checkers in real time. We've had to try to tell the truth in real time. When the president says, Barack Obama wiretapped me. There's the clapping said, seals. Go ahead. Barack Obama wiretapped me at Trump Tower. Not true. Right, let, let's just stop there. Now, he knows that Trump world was surveilled. He knows there was an informant, a spy. He now knows there was a FISA application and a warrant. He knows about the dossier. Let me tell you why Jim Acosta is a fraud, even though he says we have to keep fact-checking the president. Jim Acosta has not uncovered a single fact and has essentially ignored every piece of evidence others have found relating to the FBI, the CIA, the Hillary campaign in the DNC, Fusion GPS, the FISA court application, the dossier, the FISA court warrant, and all related matters, he hasn't broken a single story, and he hasn't really covered any of it either. So he feels his job is to protect the Obama operatives who operated during the course of the campaign and to refocus the American people on the President of the United States as if the President of the United States is the cause of these issues. That's not a reporter looking for facts. That's not a fact checker. That's a man on a mission. And that's what Jim Acosta is. He is a drama queen, a drama king, if you will. And his point is not to report. His point is to make it impossible to have an effective news conference with other reporters asking questions without him jumping up and down and the president answering questions without him jumping up and down. Moreover, he does not view his job as getting to the bottom of what occurred in the lead-up during the election, the lead-up to the election, post-election, and during the course of this presidency. So you'll hear him yell out things like, Mr. President, will you answer the questions if Mueller asks you? Mr. President, will you this? Mr. Pre-? He doesn't ask any questions that anybody hasn't already thought about. But he is not in the investigation business. He is not looking for real news and facts and the truth. He's just looking to hammer Trump, and he believes that is what a reporter should do. And I suspect there's a lot of people who've come up more recently through the ranks of journalism and media who think that's their job as status progressives. And that's what he does. And uh, Colbert, Colbert is a circus clown. Colbert used to be a B actor. You may not know that. Could see him in some of those old TV shows. Then he was on Comedy Central as the number two host behind Jon Stewart. Then they give him a big job, and of course he's now turned that into an absolute propaganda operation. 
where he just takes cheap shots at the administration and conservatives and so forth. And apparently the big media corporations are plenty happy with that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I will be on Hannity's TV show on the Fox News Channel. I hope you won't miss it. That's 9.30 tonight Eastern, 6.30 tonight Pacific. Hannity on the Fox News Channel. Now, as you keep peeling this stuff back, it's really unbelievable. The extent to which the Obama administration was trying to interfere in this election and, in fact, working with the Russians. The Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, they laundered their money into a Fusion GPS to get this guy Christopher Steele, an ex-foreign spy who claims to have been working with individuals in the Kremlin to get information on the president, information that has never panned out. He also winds up on the FBI's payroll for a period of time. Then he leaks. The FBI says, well, we can't have a leaker. Only Comey and McCabe can link. Only Stroke and Page can leak. So we're going to have to dismiss you. Meanwhile, he continues gathering information, he claims. Provides the information to an individual by the name of Orr, O-H-R, who happens to be Associate Deputy Attorney General of the United States. And Orr provides that information to the FBI, so they do it through the back door. Stay with me. Orr is a federal official at the Department of Justice. Gathering opposition research on the President of the United States. Feeding it to the FBI. Orr is also married to a lady who's working for Fusion GPS and working on the opposition research activity against the President of the United States. Or also has repeated contacts with Christopher Steele and meetings with Christopher Steele. And then there's this remarkable curveball. Christopher Steele, who's putting this dossier against the president, trying to show some Russia connection, wanted a Russian oligarch to be able to come into the United States. He'd been banned from the United States, given his past activities and associations with the Russian government. Is that not incredible? I'm starting to wonder with this Russian disinformation campaign aimed at Donald Trump if some of these people weren't Russian spies 
or Russian operatives. I'm really starting to wonder that. I never thought I would, but, but this, this is absolutely amazing. What I've told you is not in dispute. John Solomon over at the Hill newspaper has secured documentary evidence, including emails, that prove this. That prove this. And people say, this is too complicated to follow. No, it's not. This is a massive disinformation campaign by the Russians, by the Democrat Party, and morons like Jim Acosta, who are so committed to destroying this president, wittingly and unwittingly, pushing a narrative. And it's never made sense to me. Since this president, Trump, has done more to punish Russia than Obama ever, ever did. Ever. In fact, Obama was a pacifist when it comes to Russia, as he was when it comes to North Korea, Iran. He was a sellout, and China. So we're going to have John Solomon on the program in a few minutes to go through this with us. But just to recap in the plainest way I possibly can, you have this guy, Christopher Steele. He's hired basically by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. They launder the money through a law firm, which launders it further through Fusion GPS, which then hires Christopher Steele. Christopher Steele also becomes, uh, comes on the payroll of the FBI at one point. He's on the payroll of the FBI, and he did opposition research against Trump. Now think about this. At the same time, the FBI has a spy in the Trump campaign. The FBI uses this dossier to get a warrant against Carter Page, which is an excuse to undertake surveillance against the Trump campaign. By the way, Jim Acosta didn't break any of this, just so you know. Our great defender of free speech and freedom of the press. He hasn't uh, broken any of these stories. He's not even interested in anything I just told you. And so, we learn that on the staff of the Deputy Attorney General of the United States is an Associate Deputy Attorney General of the United States, a career official, whose wife works for Fusion GPS, and she's working on this dossier issue in the opposition research. And Mr. Steele is working with this official in the United States Department of Justice, the Associate Deputy Attorney General, Mr. Orr. Meets with him repeatedly, talks to him repeatedly. And then the curveball. It turns out That Mr. Steele, who's trying to hang the Russia collusion hat on the President of the United States, then the candidate, is a special pleader for a Russian oligarch with ties, close ties to Putin, who is prevented from coming into the United States, and he lobbies the Department of Justice to allow him into the United States, and by the way, eventually comes into the United States. None of this is under investigation by Mr. Mueller. None of it. Russian collusion, interference in the campaign, none of it. Now, Jim Comey had to know about Orr, did he not? 
since Orr was pressing the FBI. Jim Comey had to know who funded the dossier. Did he not? Or at least he had to know it was a Democrat opposition paper. And yet they used it. Mr. Rosenstein, who signed an extension of the FISA warrant, he says in front of Congress, look, we sign things all the time. What he was trying to say is, I didn't really read it, which is enough of a reason uh, uh, that he is a disgrace. FISA warrant's a big deal. And how do I know, Mr. Rosenstein? Because I was chief of staff to Attorney General Meese. You can't throw a fastball by me. I know exactly what you were required to do, and you didn't do it. And you didn't do it. And now we're supposed to ignore all of this that took place. The greatest scandal, in my view, in American history. The greatest scandal in American history. To interfere with an American election. Far more than the Russians could have dreamed of. Or the Chinese or anybody else. In the Obama administration. And Jim Acosta, he's just a foil. And the rest of them have no interest in it whatsoever. Instead, they keep chasing Mueller. Mueller. Because Mueller can do one of two things, they hope. Make a constitutional crisis involving the President of the United States, in which they will attack the President of the United States, or, and or, I should say, write his report so as to condemn the President and provide a fig leaf for the Democrats to seek to impeach him. You know, maybe we should invite Mr. Acosta on this program, Rich. Should we do that? I mean, he's interested in getting his message out there. Go ahead and invite him. See if he'll come on. And I'll play Jim Acosta as he plays Jim Acosta. You get my point? We can both do this together. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. John Solomon of the Hill newspaper. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Mark. Good to be with you. Thank you. All right, let's walk through this slowly, if we will. The other day, uh, you have uh, factual, newsworthy information of a connection between a high-ranking government official... Christopher Steele, the ex-British spy involved in the dossier and paid uh, through uh, Fusion GPS by the Hillary Clinton and DNC. That's right. As well as a Russian oligarch. What's going on here? Yeah, no, it's, it's an extraordinary set of circumstances. So oh, let's set the table. Uh, Christopher Steele is a British MI6 agent by whose own admission came to America to try to defeat Donald Trump. He gets hired by Fusion GPS, which is the opposition research firm paid for, firm paid for by Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee, also trying to beat Donald Trump. Somehow, he manages to land with the FBI uh, and become an informant, even though he's paid <laughs> by the DNC and the Clinton campaign to dig up dirt in the middle of the election. He, his uh, work, the dossier, becomes the, the foundation of the uh, Russia collusion case still unproven against Donald Trump and the FBI. He then gets fired by the FBI for leaking to the media just before the end of the election. And then we learn now today from these notes or over this week from the notes I gathered that what the, what the FBI and the Justice Department set up was when, when uh, Steele got fired for his misdeeds, 
They just had this guy, Bruce Orr, senior justice official, reporting to the deputy attorney general of the Obama administration. And uh, Orr would meet with Steele or would meet with Glenn Simpson, his boss. And they would take the information that they weren't supposed to be giving to the FBI directly. And they laundered it through Orr and Orr would send it on to the FBI. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a complete end run around the FISA court rules, around the way intelligence is normally gathered. And it's another sign that the Trump collusion case was not handled like a normal counterintelligence case. It was handled like a political opposition research project inside the FBI. And that's what these notes show. They show the wild tales that are being told. They show how little was actually factually corroborated. And they show Bruce Orr, who, by the way, his wife worked for Fusion GPS on the Trump Research Project. She's getting paid by the very person he's interviewing and then sending the information to, to the FBI. It's, it, uh, the FBI professionals I have talked to tell me this is one of the biggest disgraces they've ever seen in the counterintelligence investigation in their life. And then there's this Russian oligarch. What's that all about? There is. So Oleg Deripaska, who President Trump recently sanctioned, uh, remember, Trump is supposed to be soft on Russia, but he thinks right. there's an awful lot of Russians. Uh, but uh, Oleg Deripaska is a more complicated figure than most Russians who've been sanctioned, and here's why. Earlier this year, I, d- I reported and disclosed that uh, he was a 10-year asset of the FBI. He assisted the FBI in counterintelligence matters, including going to Iran and trying to rescue an FBI agent who had been captured by the Iranian mullahs. So he was working for the FBI. He was a friendly uh, he had been banned from the country, but the FBI found him so helpful, they allowed him in secretly to the country. They came up with this workaround. And so he's a very valuable asset to the FBI, and I also believe there's some indications he was useful to the CIA. Uh, at the beginning of the Trump uh, campaign, this is in September of 2015, uh, Christopher Steele, the British MI agent, MI6 agent who's going to become the Clinton researcher, reaches out to uh, uh, Deripaska and tries to uh, co-opt him and offers his services on research. I'll do some research for you. But his real motive, as we learned from Bruce Orr's um, uh, notes, and Bruce Orr is monitoring this effort, by the way, very un- unusual that the Justice Department is monitoring a British agent trying to get in touch with a Russian national who might have some dirt on Donald Trump. They, the real reason that uh, Christopher Steele wanted to be talking to this Russian oligarch is he thought he knew something bad about Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort was a guy that was almost certainly going to show up in the 2016 election as a Republican. Ultimately turned out to be President Trump's temporary campaign chairman. And they're pumping him for Paul Manafort dirt. And here's why. Oleg Deripaska sued Paul Manafort for defrauding him. uh, 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 Deripaska alleged that Manafort took some money from him, never repaid it, walked off with it, and it was fraud. And uh, very early on, in the early days, right after Donald Trump won his first debate in, in the fall of 2015, uh, there is Christopher Steele and, and Bruce Orr monitoring it, trying to pump uh, a Russian. So we talk about the tower meeting, right? And we say, oh, that we hear some Democrats and hysterical journalists on TV say that is a conspiracy to collude with a foreign national to affect our election. Well, just think about this. An FBI asset being paid by Hillary Clinton tried to collude with a Russian national to get dirt on Donald Trump or his campaign chairman. And nobody seems to be upset about that. And that's what where Deripaska comes in now. In my reporting, Deripaska, he's got some bad things about him, some good things about him, but he's very friendly to the United States, according to the FBI people I've talked to. And yet there he is being targeted by a spy for Hillary Clinton and and now the Justice Department. So that's what we've learned there. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And by the way, did Jim Acosta break this story? I don't believe so. 
Has Jim Acosta broken any of these stories? That's what I recall. No, you have. Yeah. Uh, and I assume you'll be invited to Stephen Colbert's show to explain what freedom of the press actually means. Now, you have a breaking story tomorrow, right, John Solomon? I do, yeah. So one of the things that I got in this uh, tranche of documents I've been going through the last few weeks are the handwritten notes on the day that Glenn Simpson, the founder of Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele's boss, the, the man who was directly being paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign in the Democratic National Committee, former Wall Street Journal reporter, he gets debriefed by Bruce Orr, the same justice official we were just talking about, a month after the election. And these handwritten notes are eye-popping for many. Now, wait a minute. Who is debriefing whom? Bruce Orr, the Justice Department official, who is secretly the conduit between the FBI and this whole Democratic opposition research operation. Bruce Orr meets with Glenn Simpson and debriefs him about things they've learned since the election. So so let let me just explain to the public. You have a government, a senior government official. Yes using information he has gleaned as a senior government official, yes. briefing the head of a private opposition research organization. No, no, the other way around. Other yeah. way around. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Bruce Orr is trying to get dirt from Glenn Simpson. Okay, so he's trying yeah. to get information from the opposition research. Right. Go ahead. The, the way to look at this is Hillary Clinton's campaign is still the gift that keeps on giving even after mm-hmm. the election, because here is Glenn Simpson taking stuff he was still digging up on Donald Trump, still trying to prove the dossier is true, even though it remains uncorroborated two years later, and he's feeding it to Bruce Orr. The reason they have to do this is uh, a few days earlier, or a month earlier, Christopher Steele just got fired. He got fired from the FBI because he leaked to the news media in the final days of the election that there was an FBI probe of Trump trying to swing the election, right? Well, this conversation with Glenn Simpson that we're going to write about tomorrow is eye-popping for a lot of reasons. When people are going to look at these handwritten notes, they're going to compare it to Glenn Simpson's testimony to Congress. They're going to go take a look at what the Justice Department knew about the flaws in the case and the political motives of what was being expressed in this meeting. And they're going to look and see, did any of that get to the FISA court? Did they tell the truth to the FISA court? I think people are going to be surprised. I'll give you one tidbit because it's so delicious. Um, Hold on, hold on, John Solomon, literally. We're almost out of time. I need to carry over the bottom. Won't take long. Can you stick with us? I would be glad to. All right, let's... I want to hear your tidbit. I'm not playing games with the audience. You hear the music. i got to take a break. And we'll be right back with this very, very important report. Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now. 877-381-3811. John Solomon with the Hill newspaper who's broken more stories than anybody I know on uh, on this this horrific. Let me just ask you this. You've been around a long time. I've known you a long time, John, when you were with AP yeah. Washington Times. I've never seen anything like this. This, this, the breadth and depth of this scandal. Have you? I haven't. And, you know, I think one of the, the sad parts as a journalist is that it, so much of it's caught up in the vitriol of Democrats versus Republicans, Donald yep. Trump haters versus Donald Trump lovers. But at the end of the day, this is about whether we can trust our intelligence community to honor the honor system that they have. When they have these extraordinary surveillance powers, they go to court and there's no one advocating for the other person. It's the only time in the court system where you don't get legal representation or a chance to contest it. 
And you know, you work in the Justice Department at the most senior level. You are trusted mm-hmm. to tell the court everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. And here, there was an enormous effort to hide the flaws of the FBI's case, to hide the political nature of the intelligence that they seized onto. And, and literally, a conspiracy to defraud the court is what some intelligence officials who looked at it back now say to me. And no one seems to care in the media. And most people in Congress don't even seem to care about the underlying issue that if you take Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and Glenn Simpson out of this and you just look at what we're supposed to protect in America, our liberty and the court system, there's a conspiracy to defraud the uh, intelligence courts. And that's something that we should all be concerned about, regardless of our political stripes. So tell us about this tidbit that you'll be breaking tomorrow. All right. I'm going to do something even better. I just talked to our desk and they, they knew I was on air. They just posted the story so people can see it on air while we're talking. So Beautiful. Go to Hill. Hill.tv is the address. You'll see it. Hill.tv. Uh, you'll see that the headline just broke, the handwritten notes exposing what Fusion GPS told DOJ about Trump. These are Bruce Orr's handwritten notes about his debriefing of Glenn Simpson, the founder of Fusion GPS, the boss of Christopher Seal on the Oppo Research Project. And what we learned is that Glenn Simpson gave a thumb drive to the Justice Department through Bruce Orr to give to the FBI even though the FBI is not supposed to be taking any more steel dirt, even though Bruce Orr has a conflict of interest because his wife, Nellie, worked for the very man he's interviewing. Normally, you know, in the Justice Department, agents and lawyers don't get to interview their family members or their employers or their family members. That's a conflict of interest. He takes his thumb drive, and then Bruce Orr just captures in notes everything Glenn Simpson's told him. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I think will turn out to be very important. When Glenn Simpson was uh, uh, interviewed by the House Intelligence Committee and by the Senate Judiciary Committee, Devin Nunez and Chuck Grassley seems, he said the reason he uh, turned in Donald Trump and he went to the FBI and they they did all this work was not because he was partisan or he's trying to affect election, but because he was trying to be a good citizen. That's his own words about it was about citizenship and doing the right thing and reporting a possible crime. Uh, now, it's also important to note that as they carried on that conversation, he later admitted he didn't really know if there was a crime, but he passed it on anyways. Well, there's a there's a line in these handwritten notes that, that uh, is most going to be most important to evaluating that testimony. Uh, or writes that Glenn Simpson told him that he, he asked Christopher Steele, at that time a human source prohibited by the FBI's rules from talking to the news media, he asked uh, Christopher Steele to speak to Mother Jones' reporter, That is uh, a well-known reporter named David Korn, liberal reporter, well-known, unabashed opponent of Donald Trump. And he said the reason he asked him to do this, this is what he's telling Orr now, remember his testimony, I'm just being a good citizen. He says in these notes, it was Glenn's, quote-unquote, Hail Mary attempt eight days before the election. There's not much doubt what that means. That was a Hail Mary attempt to try to sway the election to Hillary Clinton at the end. Far different from being a good citizen, I guess. But uh, these are the notes, and there's a lot of other extraordinary things where he's telling tales of uncorroboration. I think the other important part in here, just real quickly, because I know you got to go, is that— uh, No, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm doing just fine. You, you go ahead. Okay. Let me give you one more. In this interview, he, uh, uh, with Orr, uh, Glenn Simpson says, we don't, we don't really have a source in Moscow where this plot's all been hatched. What it really is is a Russian— dissident, maybe a Russian spy, a former Russian spy who's in the United States right now, and that's where we got all this dirt. So I take these notes. Wait a minute. Wait a yeah, minute. This is big. That is huge. It is. It is huge. Well, no, wait, uh, because, because remember, when they, when they briefed 
Trump, when Comey did, he brought up the Russian, the Golden Paris, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, right, yep. And and Simpson knew it was a lie. Uh, well, we'll see if it was a lie. Yeah, right. Of course, I mean, Simpson doesn't think it's a lie still, I don't think. But he did acknowledge that he didn't know what was true and wasn't true here. But let me tell you why this yeah. is important. I took these notes, and I went to five people who worked in counterintelligence, maybe more than 100 years combined between them. Some of the best people, people who didn't conduct investigations like this one was done. And I said, tell me what stands out to you. And to, to the T, these five guys said this to me. The thing that jumps out to me more than anything is that Glenn Simpson is saying Christopher Seal source was some former Russian spy in the United States. And here's what they said. There's no such thing as a former Russian spy. And the first thing we would do as an analyst, as an intelligence analyst, we would flag this and say, this may be compromise. This may be an effort by Russia to drop intelligence on Trump to draw confusion about him, just like they were trying to draw confusion about Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. This would be flagged immediately as highly suspect intelligence. But not for Peter Stroke, because Peter Stroke went right to the FISA court and, and used this uh, dossier, uh, despite what other professional intelligence officials saw as a red flag that this might be an accurate, a dirty trick by the compromat team of the KGB or the Kremlin. So there's a lot to learn in these notes. There's many other things that are in the story. But uh, I think as we peel this onion back, we, we are beginning to see an FBI investigation that, that did not live up to the FBI's rules or to the best standards. Uh, and and uh, someone in Congress, someone, in, and I hope more people in America get concerned because it happened to Donald Trump. But, you know, if this is allowed to go unanswered, it could happen to any American. And that's what I think is the bigger concern we should all have. Well, let me ask you this, John Solomon, um, yes. as you collect this information. And uh, I mean, we're we're almost two years into this. We are. And it gets worse and worse and worse. How is it possible that the deputy attorney general, Sally Yates, for whom Orr worked, wouldn't know anything unless Orr kept it from her. And how is it possible that Jim Comey wouldn't know anything, even though his FBI is involved in it? Well, I'm going to give you one more person that we should talk about. Bruce Orr wasn't just the top deputy of Sally Yates. He later became the top deputy to Rod Rosenstein. Rosenstein. Yeah. And Rod Rosenstein signs the last FISA warrant that extends the Carter Page warrant for yet another three months, of, in, in, almost a full year into the investigation. Very rare for a FISA warrant to go that long without real dirt being found or real concerns being found. So uh, I was able to get a hold of a letter where Rod Rosenstein recently wrote Congress private. It's a private letter. It's not been made public. And he basically said, listen, I saw no evil, heard no evil, did no evil. I just didn't know that Bruce Orr was doing that. Well, you know, as a former senior Justice Department official, that doesn't fly with the FISA court. Ignorance is not an excuse for the FISA court. If you're the deputy attorney general and you're signing representations to the court, it's your job to make sure anyone who's playing ball on it is telling the court to the truth. But so far, Rod Rosenstein's answer is, I didn't see it, didn't know it, I didn't ask him to do it, don't know how it happened. I'm not sure that's a very satisfying court uh, answer to a federal judge who, who signed on these warrants. Well, I don't know. Manafort's signing uh, loans, right? And uh, they're his responsibility in court. How yeah. is it that a FISA application signed by the deputy attorney general isn't his responsibility? It, it is really remarkable. And think about this. Uh, Rosenstein claims he doesn't know to Congress, but the FBI is interviewing Bruce Orr. The FBI reports to the Justice Department. There is such dysfunction, either by intention or by pure bureaucratic bungling, that make this case so concerning to counterintelligence professionals I talk to. It's just not the way it was supposed to be done. And I think at the end of the day, the country is victimized by this long, drawn-out drama 
that really was built on a lot of uh, a lot of bad information. You know, when you look at this overwhelming case of interference in the election, and it just gets more and more overwhelming. Right. Isn't it amazing to you? Just your judgment call here. That we have a special counsel on one side who seems to be investigating the victim. Uh, and then no special counsel at all on the other side. Could the reason be because of Rosenstein, Comey, and all these guys would get caught up in a criminal investigation? It's hard to know. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to say, you know this because you, you were in the Justice Department. We really don't know what Bob Mueller's doing behind the scenes, right? Uh, but there are some hints that I think the public should take a look at about Mueller's investigation. In these notes, one of the key players is Michael Cohen. It says that Michael Cohen was the glue that tied the Russia conspiracy directly to Donald Trump campaign. Bob Mueller is not even interested in touching or prosecuting Michael Cohen. What does that tell you? He's probably dismissed all this information already. And if you look at the questions that, that um, uh, Bob Mueller sent the president, there's hardly a question at all about collusion except the Trump, uh, Trump Tower. And more of that, is the questions are about, did you get the story right or wrong? Why did you get it wrong with the media? As you know, lying to the media is not a crime or there'd be a lot more politicians in, in prison, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a lot of evidence that a lot of the silliness where this case started with all the media have frothed over, that Bob Mueller's taking that stuff too serious. It looks like he may have worked through a lot of these issues and he's going to try to get done as quickly as he can and get out of Dodge. And I think we're seeing a lot of evidence of him kicking cases to New York, to Washington. He's not acting like Lawrence Walsh. He's not acting like Ken Starr, where they're backing him up a very wide thing. It seems like he's narrowing down and maybe even winding down I'm not sure that President Trump will be as disappointed with the Mueller probe as some of his his defenders think. I think there's an effort to now, after looking at everything, winnow it down and throw a lot of the garbage out the window. And I think we might be surprised. Again, I, we don't know. You never know until you see what the prosecutor shows his hands. But I'm not seeing a lot of activity that they're ramping up a collusion case. I really am not. I'll have to disagree with you slightly because Maybe, I think yeah. they they're definitely ramping up an obstruction case. Otherwise, uh, oh, sure. Yeah. That, there, listen, the Comey part about the firing of Comey, there's no doubt. But on the Russia collusion case, which is where all this started, right? Yeah. This wasn't about James Comey for a long time. No, that's right. Uh, and I agree with you. I agree with you that they're looking at that, and that's why the president's lawyers don't want him to be interviewed. But at the end of the day, um, I think that you can see some evidence that the current FBI, the current special prosecutor seems to be being a lot more responsible and, and winnowing things out, throwing things out. If you wanted to make a collusion case, you would not let Michael Cohen go to the Southern District of New York. You'd bring him in house. So I think we should look at that with, with some of the, you know, the, the tea leaf reading that we tried to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're right. Obstruction is still a threat to the president, and, and his lawyers seem to be dealing with that. And we'll, we'll find out uh, where that ends up. All right, John Solomon. Excellent reporting. I appreciate it very, very much. You take care of yourself. Thank you, sir. Good to talk to you. All right, you too. Fascinating, isn't it, Rich? The the intrigue, the what was going on behind closed doors within our government during the election and after the election to try and destroy this president. And don't forget, folks, Fusion GPS was hired by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC, and they never stopped. They never stopped. This whole Russia collusion narrative was pushed by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC, and it's never ended. And they succeeded in getting a criminal investigation, and now they want to get an impeachment. I mean, if this isn't a coup, 
I've been calling it a silent coup now from the beginning. And I want to thank all the other talk show hosts who mimic me. But that's what's been going on here. Now, here's some exciting news. Simply Safe is now valued at $1 billion. Now, what does that mean? Well, this company used to be just five guys working together. The founder only started the company because he wanted to help his friends who were burglarized. Now it's worth a billion dollars because Simply Safe protects over two million people with their cutting edge technology. And here's what makes them so great Simply Safe is comprehensive protection for your home with round the clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. Simply Safe keeps working during power outages, downed Wi Fi, even if a burglar smashes your keypad. Well, what if they cut your wires? There are no wires. This system is easy to use, incredibly intuitive, and it takes just minutes to set up. I know. We have it. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts, no hidden fees, and 24-7 monitoring is only $14.99 a month. CNET, PC Magazine, and The Wire Cutter all name Simply Safe their top pick for home security, and so do I. Order your Simply Safe system now at simplysafemark.com. And my listeners, you, you get free shipping and free returns. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your family and your home immediately. Simplysafemark.com. We'll be right back. Mark in. Don't forget... 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I will be on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. I'll be sprinting from one bunker to the next. 3.8 million Americans are reading in Primus for free every month. Are you one of them? It's the very best and largest digest of conservative thought. And it's published by the outstanding Hillsdale College. You can receive it for free at levinforhillsdale.com. And Primus is always outstanding, always free, as part of Hillsdale's efforts to teach all Americans how to pursue truth and defend liberty. I think it's one of the most important publications in the country, which is why we read it in the Levin household every month. And as I've been telling you, this month's edition is very powerful because it features Vice President Mike Pence's message to Hillsdale's graduating class. Now, it's a message that will teach you and challenge you and inspire you. You really need to read it. Start reading in Primus. Learn how to defend liberty, starting with the current issue. Now, Vice President Pence will help ground us in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans, the same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of boundless American future. That's him. That's what he said. So visit levinforhillsdale.com to get your free subscription to in Primus. No strings attached. Just visit their website. It's very easy. LevinforHillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. If you love my show, you're going to love in Primus. That's LevinforHillsdale.com. All right, let's take a few calls here. Uh, let's go to Derek, Palm Coast, Florida, the great WJNO. Go. Yes, sir. I'm so glad you took my call. Yes, uh, go ahead. I've been, yes. Trying, I've been trying to get a hold of you for years. Anyways... I'm just befuddled by the fact that um, this, everybody's trying to destroy poor Trump. That what? Why, 
they're trying to destroy the poor man that's the president of the United States. Why doesn't uh, the, the, every red-blooded American support the presidency? Everybody's trying to destroy now, the now, Now, you know the answer to that. We have individuals in this country who reject our constitutional system. They're, the progressive ideology is incompatible with constitutional republicanism, and I will say it over and over again, and I've written about it, and I've explained it. Uh, as for the President of the United States, nobody is, we're never going to get 100% support for any president. I never supported Obama. But you say, what about the office of the presidency? If your mindset is when at all costs, the ends justify the means, then you don't care. And that's the nature of the current leadership and many of the followers of the current Democrat Party. Oh, this is, this is crazy. I mean, I don't care if they elected Bozo the Clown, Ronald McDonald, or Mickey Mouse, as far as the president goes. You Listen, to- they, they, they are on a mission to reverse the last election to disenfranchise all of those who voted for Trump in the last election, to remove him from the office of the presidency. They don't care if it's some through phony criminal matter. They don't care if it's through impeachment. Uh, they feel that they own that office. They feel that he uh, he's undoing all the wonderful things that Obama did, which he is, and they weren't so wonderful. And so they are trying to use uh, the law, whether it's criminal law or the Constitution, to reverse the outcome of the election. It is, as I've said over and over again, a silent coup as opposed to a violent coup. That's exactly what's taking place. I've been right from the get-go. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Well, the President of the United States is pushing... To develop a sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces to deal with space, the Space Force. And uh, the reason he wants a entire service focused on that is because of what Russia and China are doing. It says nothing to do with flying jets and bombers. It has to do with space, warfare. Now, You can just Google this. This is a story I'm going to read you from several months ago. China and Russia developing destructive weapons for space conflict warns the United States. And we are behind. Russia and China are developing destructive counter space weapons, which could be ready to use in the next few years, according to a U.S. intelligence report. Few years. New anti-satellite or ASAT weapons could be used in future potential wars against the United States, the report warns. It says they would be used as a means to reduce U.S. and allied military effectiveness. The Director of National Intelligence Report, which is based on information gathering uh, by the FBI, CIA, National Security Agency, says recent military reforms in both China and Russia 
indicate an increased focus on establishing operational forces designed to integrate attacks against space systems. Now, if you watch my interview this Sunday with Dr. Michael Pillsbury, he will explain this, that what the Chinese and Russians are trying to do is they're trying to leapfrog us. They know they can't build sub for sub, tank for tank, jet for jet, bomber for bomber. Now, they're doing the best they can. But they are deciding, let us leapfrog the technology and develop technology that will kill their satellites. So kill, among other things, communication capabilities on the battlefield, uh, weapons targeting, uh, the the, the view of the battlefield and so forth, and just just the multiple uh, important aspects of battle uh, that involve uh, space technology. Moreover, they're developing the capacity to shut down our electrical grid, which I believe I'm the only one that keeps talking about this on national radio. Maybe I'm wrong, but I keep pressing this point. I've been pressing it for years, as well as my interviews on Levin TV and Fox. It goes on. The document, the official document states, we assess that if a future conflict were to occur involving Russia or China, Either country would justify attacks against the U.S. and allied satellites as necessary to offset any perceived United States military advantage derived from military, civil, or commercial space systems. According to U.S. intelligence, China has already begun initial testing for counter space weapons and has formed specific military units to operate ground-based anti-satellite ballistic missiles. Russia probably has a similar class of system in development, the report says. In addition, we're so far behind, folks. This is why what Trump is trying to do is so crucial. In addition, the U.S. believes China and Russia are building directed energy weapons, lasers, which would include lasers and could be used to damage sensitive space-based equipment. After this, the report adds, a particular concern, Russia and China continue to launch experimental satellites that conduct sophisticated on-orbit activities, at least some of which are intended to advance counter-space capabilities. So they're already launching these satellites. They're already preparing these weapons. The U.S. report comes weeks after a Russian report made similar accusations about Washington's military intentions. Despite U.S. concerns about Russia's capabilities, and I would argue China's even further ahead, industry experts recently told The Independent that the country's space program was near collapse after several failed rocket launches. They throw that in at the very end. But it's not near collapse. We can't even get to a uh, uh, space station without the help of Russia, paying them $70 million a flight when that occurs. So we need a space force. We're way behind. Now what would have happened if Hillary Clinton had been elected president? Four more years of Obama. This is why I say it it, it makes no sense whatsoever for the Russians to be rooting for Trump to become president of the United States. When Hillary Clinton was handing them everything they wanted, including uranium. Makes no sense whatsoever. You know the people she would have at defense, at state, the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, and of course at the NSC. They'd all be 
of the impeachment mentality or worse. Or worse. So now we have to play catch up. The Democrats don't want us to play catch up. This is different than Sputnik in the 1950s where the Soviets launched a rocket and then we realized that we were behind and then Eisenhower and then later uh, John Kennedy pushed for a space program and Kennedy announced that we would have a man on the moon within the decade. So today it's a different Democrat party. It's not the party of John Kennedy. It's the party of Ted Kennedy. Even worse, if you can believe it. And so we have this fifth column within the United States that fights us right here to try and obstruct efforts to be prepared for the enemy. They did it with Reagan on Strategic Defense Initiative, which they called Star Wars and mocked, and which is so crucially important to us and our allies. And they've done it with every major advancement in military technology and weaponry in recent decades. And so when the president says we need a space force, I can tell you right now, if we get Democrats in the House, there will be no space force. Just like there will be no border, no increased spending for defense, and all down the line. All down the line. This Russia, China, space, war potential is a big deal. Russia is a very poor country. It has a small GDP compared to the United States, but it pours immense resources into their weaponry and steals our technology. China is a very big country with a very big economy, the second biggest in the world, not as big as ours, but they intend to have it as large of ours as ours. And they have a central command and control. So they don't have to debate with anybody. They pour their resources in, they steal our technology, and they are off to the races, as I say. This is all going to make enormous sense to you. And I'm not hawking it. I really want you to watch this Sunday show that I have. It is a long-form, one-hour interview of a gentleman who is an expert on this. And by the way, it doesn't begin and end here. Particularly with China, what China is up to. You hear China this, China that. You're going to hear things you never knew before. Declassified things you never knew before. China has as official policy, I'll give you one right now, that as of 2049, 100 years from its communist founding, 100 year anniversary, it intends to have surpassed the United States economically and militarily. That's 30 years from now. And what's shocking about this is they may well do it. Depending on who's elected to office, they may well do it. And they're doing it in ways that you're not aware of, in some ways you are aware of. It's not like the old Soviet Union. They're using different techniques, different tactics, and they're succeeding. And our leaders in the past, Obama and so forth, have failed us miserably. So I hope you'll watch this. It's very, very important. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Andre 
Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. I had a uh, question with yeah. regards to the uh, soft coup, as, as you were talking about earlier. My question is, at what point is it possible for, or is it possible for another U.S. attorney somewhere else in the country to take the mantle, so to speak, and start investigating this? And, you know, since this does represent a, a threat... Investigating to the- what? Let's be precise. Well, the, uh, you know, the shenanigans inside the Justice Department. Uh, well, you know, a U.S. attorney is subordinate to the attorney general. Okay. So he's not going to allow a U.S. attorney to investigate his deputy. So he would have to get permission, um, basically, to, to, to do that. I, the second part of my question is, you know, is that something that the Secret Service becomes involved with at some point? No, the Secret Service is involved in the physical protection of certain individuals. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right. I'm, I understand the frustration out there. Trust me, I do. Uh, let us continue. Derek, Ashburn, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Hey, Mark, how are you, buddy? It's great All to right. talk to you tonight. Thank you. So, so, Mark, I have a major yes. concern. I was uh, the head of the DEA Special Operations Division when we had an initiative against Hezbollah and their cocaine and money laundering activities. Wow, that's sending, a big deal. Yeah, they were sending cars from America, 300 businesses scattered throughout America, sending the cars to West Africa to sell, and the proceeds were getting... I remember you. You called here several months ago. Yeah, but, Mark, here's the deal, though. This is what people need to know. <clears throat> the monies were going right back to Beirut to support Hezbollah through the banking systems, and there was monies coming back. All right, back let's slow down. Walk us through this again. Go ahead. Okay, it's real simple. Major cocaine loads leaving Colombia, South America, going into West Africa. Cocaine is sold. Millions and millions of dollars are collected. Middle Eastern couriers transporting the cash back to Beirut, Lebanon. Hezbollah militants protecting the money, going into the banks. Money transfers back to the America going into bank accounts and Middle Eastern used car businesses taking cash out, buying cars at auto auctions, sending the cars back down to West Africa to resell for like 20, 25% profit. And monies were going right back to Hezbollah to support their overall worldwide initiative. The reason I call you tonight, though, Mark, is that Bruce Orr was the Department of Justice guy in charge pursuant to President Obama's transnational organized crime strategy in 2011. And the purpose of the strategy, Mark, was to unite the U.S. government agencies to work against the biggest threats to this country. Unfortunately, I now believe, based on everything I'm reading and hearing, that Mr. Orr had other priorities as he was working in the Department of Justice with his political uh, priorities. Are you saying Mr. Orr was one of the senior officials to whom you and your unit reported? What I'm saying is Bruce Orr was designated by the Attorney General, first Obama, and then into the new administration to be the lead on the threat mitigation working group. And the responsibilities he had was to unite the interagency of America to go after these threats. Now, I'll tell you one thing that's very disturbing. And I lost a brother in Afghanistan, so I don't want to see other people burying their family members. So let me tell you what I know, that in that particular case, right, we had about 300 businesses in America identified, and we seized $150 million out of their bank accounts, okay? But we couldn't get the U.S. government interagency to work together. 
because of the constant infighting and the lack of sharing of information. But the real issue is that Bruce Orr did nothing about it. He did not address it. There was no one held accountable. And these businesses are still operating in America, right in our backyards, Mark. And this is what the public doesn't realize. So this guy was a little busy with Fusion GPS and, uh, and targeting Trump, wasn't he? Well, apparently, Mark, I mean, I didn't know that. Bruce was always very nice to me. He was very supportive, at least it appeared to be. But when a big decision had to be made, the leadership decisions were not made because we could not get the interagency to focus together. Now, I'll tell you another thing. We had an interagency meeting down in Tampa. Every leader of government, uh, Holder was there, Jay Johnson was there, the National Security Committee uh, you know, leaders were there, and everyone recognized that this Hezbollah threat was one of the biggest threats to our country. But we still couldn't get the interagency to come together. And we had meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. Apparently, it seems like, Mark, that Mr. Orr was busy with other activities. So This, is, this to... is unbelievable. Yeah, and that's why I was trying to call, because people are missing that. You know, yeah, it's one thing he's working with Christopher Steele after the FBI shuts him down as an informant, right? That's one thing that's really, really sad. But there's another thing here. There was a big breaking news story in, in, in January when the political article came out. And they put out to the world that the Obama administration derailed the DEA's efforts to take down Hezbollah, right? Well, what people don't realize is there were a lot of things that happened that weren't right, if you're looking at true protecting America. But what really isn't right now to think is that Bruce Orr was designated to be responsible for this interagency effort. This was a presidential executive order. This just wasn't something. All right, let's, let's slow down a minute, though. So Bruce Orr was a very powerful man, a very powerful man, powerful with the DEA, powerful with the FBI, powerful with the attorney general's office. And this other information that you're telling me really is worthy of another show. It really is. But hold on now. So this guy had enormous power. So if he's working with Fusion GPS and his wife is over there and they're feeding stuff to the FBI and Christopher Steele's working with him. You're telling me that is a big deal, not only because he was doing that, but because he wasn't working on what he was supposed to be working on when he was doing that. Exactly, Mark. And just what? Guess what? He was also the OSADEF director, the Organized Crime, Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force Program, which is very well funded. And he had a lot of access to funds to support all the U.S. Uh, interagency on these different drug related cases. So he had a big responsibility and he actually was wearing two hats. He was the head of the OSADEF unit, and he was also in charge of this threat mitigation working group. It's on the White House website. They designated- and, and he reported to the Deputy Attorney General, Sally Yates, and then later yeah. Rod Rosenstein. Exactly. All right, Derek. Uh, Derek, uh, don't hang up. Mr. Producer, get Derek's number, would you? want to bring him back for sure and not wait for him to call us. I really appreciate that. Really remarkable, isn't it? Let's quickly go to Kathy, New York, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark Levin. I'm so happy to talk to you. Thank you. I think you make everybody feel better on what's going on. Because no, I think the, the American people are so frustrated that I don't want to see any of them get away with it. But I said it from the very beginning that oh, the FBI didn't decide by themselves that they didn't want Trump. I always said Obama had to put the order in. And Obama 
went on national TV and said he knew nothing about any investigations that went on. And then later on, we find out that he did know, he has to know everything about the investigation. Listen, how can he not know at least much of what's going on? It's his FBI. He had a good relationship with Comey. It's his CIA. He put Brennan in there, the guy that voted for the communists. It's his national uh, uh, intelligence director who he appointed. It's his uh, national security advisor, Susan Rice. And, of course, Valerie Jarrett knew everything. How is it even possible Obama didn't know this stuff? Plus, the point, Kathy, is a lot of it was in the newspaper, as I pointed out. Meanwhile, he doesn't have to answer anything for some reason. We'll be right back. Right versus left is... Right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. You know, I've had my share of mechanics calling me saying they found something wrong that needs replacing when I've taken my car in for, say, an oil change. Now, those surprise high repair bills are terrible. Especially when you're not covered by a manufacturer's warranty and you're paying out of your own pocket to fix them. Well, that's why I strongly recommend extended vehicle protection from the best, CarShield. Now, if your car has 5,000 to 150,000 miles, CarShield can save you from paying for high repair bills. Replacing your engine or even a simple sensor can cost thousands. Now, when you're protected by CarShield, you can have your favorite mechanic or dealership fix your car. It's your choice, and they're paid directly. CarShield also provides 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed for free. So get covered by the ultimate in extended vehicle protection, like we did with our 2010 Camaro. Get CarShield. Call 800-CAR-6100 and mention code LEVIN. 800-CAR-6100, code LEVIN. Or visit CarShield.com. That's CarShield.com. Use code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N, to save 10%. That's CarShield.com or 800-CAR-6100. Use code LEVIN and you'll save 10%. A deductible may apply. And then there's the New York Slimes, the Holocaust-denying newspaper, which is the paper record for the media and the left. By Thomas L. Friedman, a sycophant for the the, uh, red Chinese government. Oh, yes, he is, among others. And what he wants the media to do in a piece he wrote at the New York Slimes is to all of them come together to undermine Trump. Some healthy soul-searching is taking place, he writes, in newsrooms across the country these days over whether the mainstream media should be covering President Trump's every tweet and rally. My answer, absolutely. It is the right thing for us to do professionally, and as last night's election results indicated, it's the right thing to do politically if you want to see a check on Donald Trump's power. A check on what power? Maybe he's confused with Barack Milhouse Benito Obama. It appears that it's the toxic lying, bullying, and unpresidential behaviors that Trump exhibits most in his rallies and tweets, which we in the media so incessantly cover, that is turning off the very moderate, best-educated Republicans and suburban women that Trump will need to hold the GOP majority in the House, let alone get reelected. So bring on the coverage! You see, ladies and gentlemen, putting aside his idiocy, He wants the media to take down Trump. 
That's what he wants. He wants a chorus line of phony news people to take down Trump. Now, it's not Trump who loses these elections, although we haven't lost many. It's the candidates running, some of whom are very bad and don't know how to raise money. America's unemployment rate is 3.9%, writes Thomas L. Friedman. Inflation for the moment is moderate. The stock market keeps setting records, and the president is coming off a crisis-diffusing summit with North Korea. He's a propagandist, Friedman. And yet the latest Real Clear Politics average of polls shows Trump's having a personal approval rating of only 43%, with 53% disapproving of his performance. And in the special election in Ohio held on Tuesday, the GOP House candidate, whom Trump and the entire GOP establishment went to bat for, is barely ahead of his Democratic rival in a district that has not sent a Democrat to Congress in more than three decades. Do you remember writing these things when uh, Barack Obama was president? And they lost one state legislature after another, one state governorship after another. They lost the House of Representatives. They lost the Senate. Do you remember any of that, folks? No, they, he doesn't talk about that. That does not speak well for Trump or his midterm prospects, but it does for the American people and thinking Republicans, of course. It turns out there's still a cohort of Republicans who've not sold their souls to Trump the way virtually every one of their elected representatives in Washington has done. Turns out that there are thinking Republicans for whom character, decency, and truth-telling still matter. Yeah, how about all you Democrats who back Clinton, who back Ted Kennedy, and all the rest of the sleeves? Truth-telling still matter in a president. Turns out that there are thinking Republicans who have watched Trump's Twitter rants, his disturbed performance at Helsinki, and the unrestrained bile that he emits at his rallies, and the blind, ecstatic re- response of his core base, and found, in other words, he hates his supporters, found them unnerving and unworthy of their support. That is what the polls and polling stations last night are telling us. Imagine how well President Trump would be doing if he weren't Donald Trump, if he weren't such a lying jerk. And he goes on. Now, this guy's a leftist. He's a hate America leftist. He, he used to praise the Chinese government, which is a genocidal regime. He's a buffoon. He's a three or four time winner of, uh, of the Pulitzer Prize. That shows you how useless the Pulitzer Prize is. And he writes for a newspaper that denied effectively the Holocaust. Donald Trump isn't any of the things he says, but this guy is reflective of the mindset of those who work at CNN and NBC and MSNBC and CBS and ABC and, of course, the New York Times and the Washington Post. Reflective. And here's the biggest lie, Mr. Friedman, that your newspaper pretends to be a real newspaper. Oh, it reports news. But the fact of the matter is it is biased, it hasn't endorsed a Republican president for candidate and I don't know how long. Look at your editorial board, at the woman that they just hired, a racist. And we can go on and on about your newspaper and the Democrat Party. You, sir, are a member of a party that supported slavery. How do you forgive that? You, sir, are a member of a party that supported segregation. You're the party of George Wallace. You're the party of Hugo Long. The Klan was an outgrowth of the Democrat Party. You're the party of all those governors who stood in front of those elementary school doors, stopping little black kids from going to school with little white kids. That's your party. 
You're the party of the Japanese internment camps. You're the party of Franklin Roosevelt, who was a quasi-dictator. He wanted to pack the Supreme Court. He ran for not two, not three, but four terms. Breaking with the tradition set by George Washington. And I could go on and on about who's the dictator and on and on about who's the liar because, you know, status progressives, their entire ideology is built around a lie. Built around a lie that the central government can determine what's best for you, that the central government can determine what your needs are, that only through the central government can you truly be liberated and equal. That's the big lie of the Democrat Party. Nowhere, nowhere in this column, not one place does he mention the president's successes from a conservative perspective. The courts, the military, immigration, all these efforts by this president to secure this nation and to ensure the rule of law is upheld. But that's not Thomas L. Friedman. That's not what he's about. The man married into wealth. They live in a huge estate in Maryland. They probably have properties elsewhere. He sits there on his fat ass in an office on a top floor at the New York Slimes and writes stuff like this. What about your praise of Red China? A communist, centralized, genocidal regime, Mr. Friedman. What about it? Well, I guess it didn't bother you because you write for a newspaper that closed its eyes to the Holocaust. Nothing, nothing Donald Trump has done or even contemplates doing compares to that. Nothing. You're just another despicable, overrated, big mouth. Pretty much it. I have my disagreements with Donald Trump, and we express them from a policy perspective. We express them rationally. This is not rational. This is a call to media arms to keep it up, to keep it up, to take down this guy. And that, you see, is freedom of the press. Donald Trump is a threat to freedom of the press. He sounds like Stalin, don't you know? Actually, Thomas Friedman sounds like Stalin. Jim Acosta sounds like Stalin. Stephen Colbert not only sounds like Stalin, he looks like Stalin's daughter. Yes, Chris, Springfield, Missouri, the great KSGF. Go. Oh, hello. How are you doing, Yes, sir. Mark? Go right ahead. Very well. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure what I have to say is nearly as important what your, than your uh, DEA employee uh, had to say, but uh, you have uh, described many things that have to do with the bureaucrats running the government, and uh, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, back in 72, when I was stationed at a post outside of Washington, D.C., uh, the post commander was going to make some changes on post. And I heard a conversation. Uh, I don't remember where it was. I worked in the hospital, so it had probably had to be in the hospital someplace. But it was a CS-12 that said, it'll never happen. And somebody asked him, why not? He said, because I've been here 18 years. That Coast Commander has only been here two years and may be here for two more years. It's not going to happen. And uh, when we talk about term limits for senators and congressmen, I am just deathly afraid of that because of what we see in our bureaucracy right now. 
Uh, well, I don't agree with you. I think you can limit terms for senators and congressmen who create these massive administrative uh, bureaus and departments. And at the same time, slowly reduce the size of government, as Milton Friedman, among others, including me, have proposed by limiting the size and growth of government and starting to begin to peel back, as well as address the debt, taxes, spending beyond the debt. There are multiple things that need to be done, but none of it will get done as long as you have members of Congress who've served for 40, 30, 50 years. It's just not going to happen. Well, there are there is one thing that we can do. If we can get a convention of states together. And well, sir, I, I've written about this. I wrote a whole book about it. And I'm the one who's been, among others, rallying people around this. But it's not like we only do one or the other. I believe that is ultimately the only way we address the systemic rejection of our constitutional system. I don't disagree with that at all. But among the amendments that I propose is to limit the terms of members of the House and Senate. The terms of the, the term of the president has been limited, and it should have been. Uh, and I have no problem with that. So term limits, shrinking the size of government, shrinking the power of government, moving government back towards the states and the people of the states. There's no alternative. That's it. No, there is one alternative, and that's if we pass a constitutional amendment that takes away their ability to make their own rules. and I, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Well, they're the ones that, that control the Congress and the Senate. They, they make their own rules by virtue of the Constitution. And they have so you're saying they shouldn't be able to make the rules by which they rule themselves? What does that get us? Uh, well... You don't use the Constitution to micromanage. You use the Constitution... And you don't blow an opportunity to really address what's going on in this country by saying, hey, guess what? We're going to make the rules for how the Congress actually operates. You can do it in some respects when it comes to regulations and so forth, limit their power in terms of spending and so forth. But no, you don't you don't want to control the rules of the committees of Congress and so forth. Uh, that's not what a constitutional uh, amendment is about. That's certainly not what the Convention of States is about. All right, sir, we appreciate your call. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Here we go again. This time, turns out that an identity protection company that I'm sure you've heard of all over the place hasn't been so careful in protecting the email addresses of their customers. And many were actually compromised. You believe that? So please listen to me. The only identity company that I trust to protect my family and me is my ID care. You must take this stuff seriously. If you have credit cards, do online backing, even use email, you're vulnerable. I don't worry because I switched my identity protection to the guys who've been protecting Fortune 500 companies for years. My ID Care. Now you can get their stellar protection too at myidcare.com/mark. You'll also get 15% off. Just enter promo code MARK. That's myidcare.com/mark promo code MARK. A lot of marks. I'm proud to be partner with My ID Care. They take great care of their customers and our data, and they cover us for the nine types of identity theft. For less than 10 bucks a month, My ID Care can even help 
if you're already a victim. Learn more and then let My ID Care take care of you, not the other guy. MyIDCare.com slash Mark and a promo code Mark. Get 15% off. One more time. MyIDCare.com slash Mark and a promo code Mark. 15% off. Don't forget. 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. That's how it works. I will be on Hannity TV uh, on the Fox News channel. You won't want to miss it. I'm in a rare mood. Joe, Monroe, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. A great honor to speak with you tonight, Mark. I just want to tell you there is an iota of hope. I am a principal in uh, New York City, inner city school, and I have to tell you that... Um, I've been reading Reagan in his own hand, and I just want to let you know how amazed I am to see what a visionary he was and how right he knew, how much he knew, and how applicable that writing is today, his writings from 1977 to 1981. Give folks an idea of the sort of things he talked about just generally. Oh, the... Intelligence, uh, socialism, um, dead on with socialism and the left and where they were going, where they wanted to, where they want us to go. Um, the, the deep state, although he doesn't use the term, the, uh, the deep state, the threat that the Russians do pose and have posed and continue to pose. Um, it just, it, it, yeah, it yeah. sounds like it could have been written. Within the last two or three years, he was a visionary, and um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves for being as intelligent as he was. No, so true. He was the right man for the time, that's for sure. And he stared out of the Soviet Union, and he won. He broke with Kissinger, he broke with Nixon, he broke with the establishment on detente. And they said, well, what do you believe in? He said, victory. I believe in victory. This is a, an evil force. And they tried to make him out, as Thomas L. Friedman did in Wood and others, as a buffoon, as somebody who just didn't understand the way the world works and so forth. You know, when you have people who really stand out, they can be statesmen, leaders, brilliant. They can be nut jobs, you know, like Bernie Sanders. But they can be people like Reagan, and I must say, in so many respects, like Trump. And as I've said on this, uh, on this airway, on this um, show before, Joe... When it comes time for Trump to leave, we're going to miss the guy. We're going to miss the guy because his fighting with the press, he's really fighting for us against what is, in so many respects, the bastardization of the free press. Well, I thank you for all that you've taught me over the last 10 years, and God bless you. And God bless you, an inner city principal in New York. That is a wonderful thing to have such a... uh, a thinker and reader like you, sir. So, by the way, don't hang up. Let's send him a copy, a signed copy of uh, Rediscovering Americanism. All right, don't hang up. I don't have enough time to take the calls. Uh, but I will be on Hannity. I'm sure we're going to be focusing in on Mueller, whether or not the president should ask questions, uh, and so forth and so on. So I hope you'll catch it at 930. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Check out Levin TV tonight. It's a great one. Check out Hannity at 930. I'll be there. I'm everywhere. Check out a sonogram. I'm there, too. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Take care.